Welcome back. This is Dave Rowland, the Director of Litigation for the Freedom Center of Missouri, filling in for Gary Nolan today on the Zimmer Radio Network. It is Frost Your Buns Friday. We have been talking about a whole range of topics with callers this morning. If there is a topic that's really frosting your buns, feel free to call in. The number is 573-874-9390 or 800-529-5572. Um, Several of the callers have wanted to talk about the situation with uh, the war between Russia and Ukraine. And I thought that our last caller had a really interesting point to make, and I wanted to explore it a little bit further. So I invited uh, resident history expert Brian Halsworth into the studio uh, to chat with me a little bit about it. But, Brian, what the what the caller was pointing out is he said, um, from a strategic perspective... What Putin is wanting to do in Ukraine is secure uh, this port for the Black Sea Fleet in Sevastopol, in, in, which is in Crimea, which was part of Ukraine mm-hmm. until 2014 when Putin mm-hmm. invaded and took it back for, for Russia. And um, the caller was saying, even though it looks like Russia is kind of on the ropes right now, uh, they've suffered a number of military setbacks over the last couple of months. He said, remember what happened in World War II? Um, they ended up rallying and coming back and scoring tremendous victories over Germany. Could you give us just sure. a brief yeah. overview of Operation Barbarossa, Operation Barbarossa. And, and how Russia managed to turn the tide in that situation? You know, it's, and I'm so glad you invited me in because um, it, it, is, it, it is intriguing. And I haven't talked about this a lot of it in, in probably 30 years. But as you know, Dave, I have a history degree and as mm-hmm. well as my uh, journalism degree. And You're I a learned man. Yeah, exactly. And I really in, enjoyed studying history. And uh, I, I graduated from Lindenwood. But you're right. Operation Barbarossa. Um, um, and it was launched was June twenty second, nineteen forty one, which is really late because Russia generally has six months or more winter every mm-hmm. year, sometimes more. And they were going to go in earlier uh, on the uh, Germany was going to go in on the invasion, but they ended up Mussolini needed help in Ethiopia and some other places, so it was really late. You're talking about maybe a week before July. And from what I remember studying and reading, um, and I'm be very close to this, they got the Germans got basically within 20 miles of Moscow Mm -hmm. and the snow fell and I want to say it was October 2nd very close to that and that's how close they got they got within 20 miles and at that point is when the Russians began the counterattack and uh and 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 eventually it was very bloody millions and millions of people died um and and of course Russia um Russia ended up prevailing the I I do remember Harry Truman somewhere being quoted the president later the president the vice president at the time is saying that you, you know you've basically he he didn't trust stalin even right. even then did not they did not get along and but the russians did prevail but they it it wasn't until the very end it they got that close so operation barbarossa if they had gone in the germans let's say maybe two three three weeks who knows i think it could have been a different story but that is that is what i remember about that yeah it, and it, it was might a big have deal been. let's let's so let's sure. let's build out that scene a little bit more it wasn't just moscow so yes. 
Um, Russia has, or at the time, had three major cities in the West. They had Stalingrad, Leningrad, and Moscow, Moscow being the capital. And the Germans put Leningrad under siege and kept it under siege for a long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, They got within 20 miles of Moscow, and they also were able to reach the the outskirts of Stalingrad. Um, And so they really just had the Russians on the ropes. But here is, I think, the difference between that historical situation and today's situation. Uh, Number one, the Soviets at the time had the Allies on their side. That's right. So the Soviets were fighting the Germans on the Eastern Front, but you also had the United States and uh, the United Kingdom and what was left of France trying to fight back on the Western Front. So you had this divided front that the Germans were trying to fight on. You also had the Germans suffering from lack of resources. One of the one of the questions historically is why was Hitler so intent right. on this invasion? Part of it may have been because he was running low on oil. Mm-hmm. And and he might have seen his invasion of Russia as a way to get Germany access to the oil that they needed to drive their war machine, without which everything was going to collapse anyway. That's a good point. Um so so that's one of the one of the issues is right now Russia doesn't have very many countries on its side at all. Mm-hmm. Um it, it's kind of isolated and that plays into the second point that I wanted to make here. Um Russia was able to move its major factories, its war machine mm-hmm. to the east during World War II. Okay? So as they were trying to hold off the Germans, they were at the same time building up the tanks and the planes that they would have to have to fight back. Yes. And and so um, by marshalling this enormous industrial capacity, that's what equipped their army to then push the Germans back. Today, they don't necessarily have that at all. So one of the things that the Western sanctions have been doing to Russia in the current day is depriving them of many of the parts that they need to build the tanks and the planes and the other war materiel that might allow them. So they've they've, uh, had a draft. They've conscripted hundreds of thousands of Russian men, the, the, win, the ones who didn't run away, the ones who didn't leave the country, right. which was something else that wasn't an option in World War II. Um, Probably so, punishable by death in those days, I'm thinking. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And so, so Russia may have hundreds of thousands of new troops to put on the line, but what are they fighting with? Right. And, and that, I think, is a significant difference between the World War II scenario and what we're looking at right now. Um, so, so in short, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to be fair to the caller because yeah. I thought he did make a very interesting point and one that deserved to be responded to. Um, but I feel like the situations are so remarkably different in part because Russia is isolated in a way that the Soviet Union was not during World War II. Uh, I think that the Soviet capacity for building the weapons that they needed for a mm-hmm. counterattack is not necessarily available to them at present. Um, and I think that the continued funneling of Western funds and materiel to Ukraine is something that Germany didn't enjoy during World War II uh, either. So, so those three points are the reason why I think that Ukraine actually stands a very good chance of eventually prevailing in this conflict maybe retaking crimea maybe not um i do think that the caller was correct that russia will certainly make uh every effort to try and hold on to it but brian thank you so much for coming in and chatting that over thank you sir great stuff appreciate you 
Appreciate you, too. Let's go to Bill. Bill, thank you so much for holding on the line. You are on the air with Dave Rowland. What's frosting your buns this Friday? Well, you guys are talking about uh, the art of war and a guy by the name of Sun Tzu. Yeah. Chinese. You didn't mention him in your thing, but I wish people would read that, especially some of the current administration people, before they uh, telegraph what they're going to do to uh, Mr. Putin. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting point. Uh, Sun Tzu, of course, fantastic military philosopher. Um, I think it's interesting because Sun Tzu was working uh, in the absence of democracy. I think one of the challenges that uh, modern democratic nations have is they have to be able to justify their actions to their people. And that creates some sort of pressure to build public support for what you're going to do before you do it, which is good politics, perhaps, but it, you're right. It's lousy military strategy, isn't it? Um, yeah. I, I, I think that's a, a really good point, and I think it is a challenge that's inherent in our democratic system of government. I, well, what, what do you think? I mean, is, is there a way for a democracy to pursue a large-scale military strategy without um, letting its people know what the plans are? Well, um, military people today study Sun Tzu's art of war like you wouldn't believe because there's, uh, you know, you look at the Vietnam War, for Mm -hmm. instance, the things that Westmoreland did, uh, a chess strategy just wasn't any good. So anyway, thanks for your time. And uh, well, thanks uh, for your call, Bill. I appreciate it. Yep, thank you. Let's go real quick to Tommy on the line. Tommy, we've got just a few minutes before our next commercial break. Uh, what is it that you would like to talk about on Frost Your Buns Friday? I'd like to turn things back local here a little bit. Sure, do it. These shootings in Columbia and these murders in Columbia, those sort of things, the people that are doing that, are those folks that are, have grown up here in Columbia, are they from Boone County, or where are they coming from? Does anybody look into that? Are they coming in here from other places and shooting up our community? And if they are, I'd like to see us trace that back and see why they are coming to Columbia and shooting up our communities and making it look bad. You, you know, know that, where that's an interesting question. From? I don't have the data on that. No, I don't. Um, you know, there. I know that there is uh, a lot of there's a lot of incentive uh, for politicians, particularly, to depict crime as coming from outside the community in Chicago. For years, excuse me, for years they've suggested that the problem with violence in Chicago was people coming across uh, from Gary, Indiana, or coming from outside the city. Uh, honestly, I don't know. Uh, I know that in St. Louis City they've suggested that part of the problems there were people coming from outside the city to, to cause trouble. Um, well, I, I, I don't know. It's question. the advantage of Boone County to look into the fact that where are these people coming from if they're homegrown? Let's change something here in Columbia to 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 curb that a little bit. If they're coming from other places, I'd like to find out where they're coming from, and I'd like to stop that inflow. Well, I don't know that you can stop inflow from someplace uh, within the state in particular, but but really from anywhere in the United States. But I do think that maybe maybe there is some value in looking into 
who are these perpetrators? Where are they coming from? And should that influence local policy in some way? Thanks so much well, for calling uh, in, yeah, Tommy. Yeah. We're going to have to go to another commercial break here. Uh, if you would like to call in on Frost Your Buns Friday, the number is 573-874-9390 or 800-529-5572. This is Dave Rowland filling in for Gary Nolan on the Zimmer Radio Network. Welcome back. This is Dave Rowland filling in for Gary Nolan on the Zimmer Radio Network. It is Frost Your Buns Friday. We've had a wide-ranging conversation. Uh, everything from college football to uh, what Brian and I like to eat for Thanksgiving and what we don't like to eat. Uh, and then we've also talked about world geopolitics and history. So uh, that's just the kind of variety that, that we like to bring to you on this show. Uh, we have got John on the line. John, you are on the air with Dave Rowland on Frost Your Buns Friday. What do you want to talk about? Uh, I'd like to comment on the last caller called sure. in about the crime and the shootings and whatever. And uh, God love him. He's a great guy. Uh, shoot me on this one, but uh, I tell you what, the people that are doing that are uh, people that are in this little gangs and stuff, 14 to 21 years old. Columbia, being a college town, uh, you know, the college kids buying uh, dope and drugs and things like that, and the little kids driving by, popping in. You you, you stepped over in my turf, now we're going to go by and sell your house for holes and things of that nature. That's where that's coming from. And God love the police department because they're trying to do everything they can do. And you can't pull someone over because, oh, well, no, you're, you're, you're targeting this certain group. So what I hear or, you saying is we need to end the drug war, right? That's the whole thing. And I, the sad thing is this gentleman that called in before me, uh, I think everybody ought to be down hammering city council because all they want to do is throw millions of dollars on bike paths or this or that. They turn a blind eye to it. And and the sad thing is, is you have people on city council that could fix that and help do it. And, and now I understand that the police department are trying to put in cameras to help catch this and everybody's throwing a big fit. I mean, you, you ask them to do their job and they're trying to do their job, but then Oh, no, you can't do this. You can't do that. But I tell you what, people do not shop Columbia no more. They don't go there. They'll go to Jeff City, the Lake, or St. Louis, or wherever. But people from St. Louis and Kansas City will come down uh, and supply their little dope dealers and, and do the shooting. And, I mean, three shootings or two shootings a week it's just normal. It's like it's just drowned people out. They just turn a blind eye. It's just boring to hear it, but it's sad. It's really sad, and I think the people on city council should be hammered, hammered, hammered. And that's that's my 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 input on it. Uh, but um, so, so what see, what is the solution that you are proposing? Are, do you think cameras are the solution, or what's what's I the say here? cameras are a start. And let's get these people um, pulled over and um, uh, this this stop. I mean, you're, you're probably you can't pass any law well, that will so, stop the draws, the drug dealings. You can't pass any law. Well, I disagree. I, I disagree. I, I think that the the reason that we have drug dealing and violence in the streets is because. We have a drug war, a war on drugs. And true, true. When, you, with you. when you prohibit 
uh, a substance that people want to buy. It creates the black market. And then you have these battles over turf. You have, um, you know, fighting in between the black marketers. I mean, that's that's what the whole issue was with prohibition. Oh, I agree with you 100 percent. And that and that's the problem, because in some certain groups and, and I'm going to step out on a limb here and say people of color, that's that's what the young kids do to make money and and not work. But the, the sad thing is, is that you would think that uh, I don't even know uh, if there's people of uh, uh, color on city council, but the kids are shooting up their own their own their own quote people. I, and that's one thing that's I want to question, though, I do you have data to show that it's predominantly people of color that are committing the crimes? Well, I'll tell you what, I'll pass this on. I, I, do I don't like people jumping to conclusions on it. It's one oh, thing no, if there's no, data. No. And I understand that. I understand that. One, you see who the news people will, uh, the Channel 17, the, the, they'll, they'll show so-and-so was arrested. 90% of that is people of color. I do construction, and I had to go to Columbia to do a construction job, and two houses down across the street, every day, day, there was between 20 and 40 cars a day pulling up, and they were dealing there, and I'm like, I can't wait to get out of here. I wish I would never got pulled into this little ordeal and everything was locked. And, and happily, I was gone. And as soon as I left, shootings across the street. Shootings, I thought, I got out of there with my life. And I'm not a bigot. I'm not colorist. I'm not racist. I'm not whatever. I'm just stating facts that I have seen with my own eyes. And Channel 17, they get tired of saying, and they I think they've been told, and I'm going to guess this, I think they've been told, do not use color. But the pictures that they bring up, and then they'll go out to surrounding counties way out there, 200 miles away, and show white people that were doing drugs and, and this and that. And they all, you know, there's drugs in white, black, yellow, red, purple, pink, and white. Whatever, but they don't want to make their town sound that bad. But I'll tell you what, no one wants to go to Columbia and shop. And by golly, don't go after 11 o'clock at night. Well, John, thank you so much for calling in. So I want to bring up some data um, to enlighten the conversation. Um, I think that particularly when there are notable incidents of crime, uh, people get very concerned and, and they make assumptions, uh, that are not necessarily warranted. I am looking at the historical crime data for Columbia, Missouri, violent crime. And what it shows is that violent crime has actually been in significant decline, uh, over the last 20 years. So there was a spike in violent crime in 2007. Uh, there was another high point in 2011, uh, but actually violent crime in recent years uh, has been significantly lower than the historical average. 2021, it was a fair bit higher, uh, but thus far in 2022, the crime rate is actually down for violent crime in the city of Columbia. So that does not minimize um, the concern that people have, uh, you know, when you have high profile 
crimes committed. It's perfectly reasonable for people to be upset by it, to be concerned about it. But I think that in order to take a clear-eyed look, you do have to look at the actual statistics. And right now, the statistics, the statistics I'm looking at suggest that crime is not worse in Colombia currently than it has been historically. Uh, we are going to have to go into a commercial break here. We do have a caller I want to get to on the other side of the break, so please hang on the line so we can get to you. In the meantime, if you'd like to call in on Frost Your Buns Friday, the number is 573-874-9390 or 800-529-5572. This is Dave Rowland of the Freedom Center of Missouri filling in for Gary Nolan on the Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show. Welcome back. This is Dave Rowland filling in for Gary Nolan on the Zimmer Radio Network. Uh, Henry, you have been so patient waiting for us to get to you. Thank you so much for hanging on through that commercial break. What would you like to talk about on this Froster Buns Friday? Uh, believe it or not, Ukraine. All right. Uh, well, let's go with it. Okay. Uh, um, when Putin, or when they invaded, <clears throat> they... <clears throat> They surrounded uh, one of the cities called, uh, uh, I can't think of the name of it. No, it's, it's in the uh, Donetsk. It's a, a huge city. Uh, Mariupol. Yeah, they Mariupol. They surrounded mm-hmm. that city and, and just pummeled it with, with artillery. Yeah. And 90% of that city spoke Russian. Yep. Why would the, uh, you know, if you, <laughs> why would you do that? Uh, yeah, if you were I, wanting- I think that there are a number of uh, aspects of Russia's war that um, call into question the validity of their claim that they're just trying to liberate uh, the Russian speaking people who didn't want to be part of Ukraine. Um, it's a I, land grab. I, I think that that's, that's the best interpretation of, of what Putin has been doing. Um, but yeah. The, the whole, the South, the whole region that they did invade, I think is about half and half for the, for the most part, like Kherson is like, uh, 45, 55, 55% speak Russian and, and, uh, the city up to the north, the second big largest city in Ukraine, it's, it's, I, Kharkiv? It's mostly Russian too. Yeah. So I, I think that it's, well, and, and again, I think it's important to distinguish between Russian speaking and Russian sympathizing. Um, just because people speak Russian as their primary language does not mean that they want to be part of Russia. And um, as I was trying to point out earlier, um, many of the elections in the 21st century in Ukraine have effectively been referenda on whether the people wanted the country to lean more towards the European Union or whether they wanted to align with Moscow. And uh, as recently as 2012, the eastern regions where there were a, a large group of Russian speakers were still kind of leaning towards Moscow. But in the last decade or so, um, those regions have been voting pretty solidly in favor of the candidates that said they wanted to align with the European Union. So even though um, the regions were uh, significantly populated by Russian-speaking people... What's that? 
Another reason, uh, Putin came in there and fired like he didn't give a damn hooey, hooey bomb, you know? Right. That, uh, that kind of unified the country. So yeah, far. invasions have a way of doing that, <laughs> of, of solidifying opposition. And, and that, I do what, think, what is, is what's happened. On history, on the history, mm-hmm. they, they try, uh, the Soviet Union or Stalin tried to starve, you know, well, they, they starved about, I don't know how many million. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't just try. He succeeded. Uh, three million Ukrainians died. Um, not okay, because they, they weren't they producing enough food. That with Russians, it's not like yeah. uh, Ukrainian. The Ukrainian language is not is not some some accent of Russia, or it's not. It's it's a totally different language. It's more similar to Polish and mm-hmm. and, and uh, Belarusian. Yeah. It's, well, Henry, thank you so much for calling in. We appreciate it. We need to get to a couple of these other callers, but uh, let's let's go on right now. Let's go to Rich. Rich, you are on the line with Dave Roland on the Gary Nolan Show. What is frosting your buns this Friday? Well, one of the things earlier, you're asking people to quote sources uh, yeah. about all this crime and just read the newspaper, watch TV. Uh, the news shows it. It's, it's plain. There's your source. Um, it And... The other thing about crime statistics that you're saying the crime is lowering, um, how they how they document those uh, crimes also has changed over 20 years too, and they're trying to portray uh, that the crime is less when the crime is still there. It's just in a different category. Uh, well, let, that, let me that, let me follow my own advice and sure, sure. quote the sources that I was relying on. So I was relying on yeah. uh, for the crime data between 2000 and 2018. I was relying on the statistics reported by the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Um, yep. And then for the most recent years, I was using KOMU's website, um, which uh, tracked violent crime 2022 as reported by the Columbia Police Department. So those were the sources I was relying on to point out sure. that historically speaking, crime, violent crime um, seems to be lower at present than it has been over the last couple of decades. And I also want to add that um, crime was a lot higher in the 80s and 90s nationwide. So so we're talking about a low in relation to already uh, pretty remarkable lows given, say, the last 50 years of crime data in the United States. Again, that doesn't minimize the impact when crime happens within a community crime is awful and it's scary and people need to pay attention when it happens i just want to make sure that we have that additional context so that the crime that has happened doesn't necessarily get blown out of proportion do you see what i'm saying yes i I do but um, i'm telling you that even those those studies from even though it's come from the fbi i've I've read many things uh that show how they've redocumented uh or re uh let's see how how they say it Recategorized? Yeah, reclassified, recategorized some of these crimes to where it seems like there's less. But my ears tell me two or three shootings a week in Columbia, if not more sometimes. Um, the crime is not lower. It, it's going on every single day and a lot of it. I understand that. And, and so let me relate this to kind of how I feel about uh, people's concerns about election integrity. Uh, I am on record as saying that uh, election fraud does happen. I've proved it in court. Um, so, so it can certainly happen. It can 
tip the balance of certain races. Um, I do not think that election fraud likely happened on anything like the scale that a lot of people assumed that it did in 2020. Um, that yeah, said, that a up. lot of people <laughs> believe that election integrity is a problem. And therefore, I think we have to address that. Like, I don't think that the solution is just to fold our arms and say, well, I don't think that it's a problem. I mean, I, I think that if you've got that number of people that believe that something's a problem, you do have to take that seriously. And there needs to be steps taken to try and address it and put their minds at ease. Um, but I do think that it's important to have that, that broader context. You see what I'm saying? I, I do. Uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm relating also to my own personal uh Sure. Just, just in the last few weeks, my experiences, I almost got hit head on by someone running from the police, yeah. going around a roundabout. They went the wrong way and hit, almost hit me head on. Um, never heard nothing about that story. Uh, same thing with uh, the same day the lady got shot over on Blue Ridge. Uh, there's also a big, I think there's at least 10, minimum of 10 uh, law enforcement officials on I-70 Drive uh, Northwest on one of the roads there. Never heard nothing about what happened there, but there's an incredible police presence. Yeah. So we don't hear about all the crime. We hear about some of it. Um, but I'm, I'm wondering if they're also taking a lot of that in their statistics. Things that maybe uh, I would I would assume that they are, but I don't know. It's a good question. Rich, we're going to yeah. need to move on to a different caller, but thank you so much for calling in. Let's go to Jim. Jim, you've been on the line for a long time. Thank you very much for your patience. What do you want to talk about today? Okay, Dave, uh, what frosts my buns is all the uh, oil that's being uh, uh, released from the strategic uh, petroleum reserves by our president. And, uh, you know, I, I have done some research on that. It's very difficult to know if, in fact, he has full authority for this because there are lots of different uh, talons of ways to uh, access that and there are a few uh statements or or laws about what cannot be done it, it's very complicated and i don't know if you're familiar with that uh, legislation i did send a link uh in a text to uh to the eagle I'm afraid so, uh, I, I haven't seen the link that you sent. I will say that my understanding, which is limited, I don't pretend to be an expert in this area, but my understanding is that the president does have relatively broad authority, not unlimited, but relatively broad authority when it comes to managing the strategic petroleum reserves. Um, and I think that I, I'm not aware of of any limit that President Biden has transgressed. Now, I would agree that the proper policy here is simply to allow for the operation of the pipelines and the wells and uh, the drilling operations that would generate more oil. I, I think that that would probably I, be the so best much, policy. I'm not, Dave, I'm not so much concerned about that. I, I am. That is a concern. I'm more concerned that of the over 30 million barrels, and I can't remember now, uh, someone mentioned 60-something total that have been uh, released, 96% has been sold to China. And, and they had, they had a, a source for that information. And I don't have that source. Yeah, but, I, I have uh, not heard that, and I haven't seen a source. That bothers me so. a lot. And 
if if we can find a source on that, I'd like to hear it. But not having seen a source on that, let me just say I'm skeptical. Unfortunately, we have ties to uh, international energy uh, conglomerates or, or agencies that require us to uh, delve into our strategic oil reserves under certain conditions. And I don't know if that was a part of the justification for sale to China. Oh, I, again, I don't know about the alleged sale to China, so I can't speak to that. What I can speak to is we're about to head into another commercial break. So thank you for calling in, Jim. I appreciate it. Uh, this is Dave Roland filling in for Gary Nolan on Frost Your Buns Friday. If you'd like to call in, it's 573-874-9390 or 800-529-5572. Uh, we're going to have about nine minutes on the other side of this commercial break, so we'll try and get to the callers who have been uh, patiently waiting for us. But uh, in the meantime, enjoy this commercial break. We are back. This is Dave Roland filling in for Gary Nolan on the Zimmerito Network. This has been Frost Your Buns Friday. We've had a lot of conversation about a lot of different issues, but we've had a couple of very patient people waiting on the line. Let's go to John real quick. John, thank you for waiting. Uh, you are on the air with Dave Roland. What would you like to talk about today? Appreciate it. You know, we look at a lot of things, and history is one of the things we really take a very good close look at. My father had nine bronze stars out of World War II. So, you know, he was right at first hand with a lot of whatever happened. He always made the comment to me, he said, we will never fall with someone attacking our borders. He said, we will fall from within. And what did Stalin say? He says, we're not going to fire a shot. We'll take you from within. We're looking at this country literally being destroyed right before our very eyes. And the people that think that we're going to stay free for another 200 years, I'm sorry to say, I don't think that's ever going to happen. Not unless we do some very, very good due diligence to watch out for the country, but to protect everybody's rights. That's what the whole country was founded on, was rights. The Declaration of Independence gave us rights from the creator of the universe. And yet we chomp at the bit to destroy those. It's amazing to me to watch what's happening with this country. I know my father's probably rolling over in his grave right now to know that this is happening. Well, I certainly agree that eternal vigilance is the price of liberty, and we all need to be vigilant and willing to go out and teach people about the importance of individual liberty because, as Ronald Reagan said, we are never more than one generation away uh, from, from losing the rights for which our forefathers fought so hard. Thank you so much for calling in, John. I appreciate it. Let's go to Eric. Eric, you've been incredibly patient. Thank you so much. What would you like to talk about today? Well, uh, one quick thing. You said you were from Knoxville. I was just stayed the night there a couple Sundays ago. It's a great town. Yeah, it is a nice town. I was on our way to South Carolina to watch my son graduate from basic training. So, Oh, congratulations. I, thank you. If I'd have known you was from there, I'd have looked for your, like, bronze statue or something <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> you, you would have been looking a long time. <laughs> hey, what I'm really calling for, I am on my local city council, and I, too, must, I got involved because I am small government. So we're dealing with the issue of a few properties that are, you know, derelict falling down and people complaining. And I just don't like the thought of government taking over those properties. Just my own personal issue. But have you ever heard of or know of any other options for a city to, to do about properties 
like that. Yes, actually. So, um, you know, when you have properties that have become nuisances, um, cities are empowered to abate the nuisances. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean taking title to the properties. It means that if there is a particular condition that needs to be addressed in order to eliminate the, the risk of harm to the community, the city can move in and have that condition addressed, and then they bill the property owner for um, the work that's been done to address the condition. This happens frequently right. when it comes to people right. who have overgrown lawns. Um, right. You know, the, the city <laughs> comes in, mows the lawn, and then sends a bill to the property owner to um, to compensate for that. So that's, that's one thing that can be done. Um, but, you know, really, I think my concern is that these nuisance laws get overused. Um, I, I am very concerned, uh, by the way that cities have more and more tended to be aggressive in dealing with conditions that are not actually a threat to the health and safety of the community. So for example, um, you know, if someone has, um, uh, oh, let's say, uh, an overgrown lawn, I mean, an overgrown mm-hmm. lawn is an irritant, um, it doesn't necessarily, it, now if it's where vermin are coming and nesting and, you know, causing, uh, infestations for the community, then that's something that needs to be addressed. But if we're talking about, you know, grass that's 12 inches high as opposed to six inches high, um, I don't know that that necessarily calls for an aggressive intervention by a local government. And yet some local governments will do that. So, um, I appreciate the fact that you, um, are willing to go into public service and to try and deal with these issues because, frankly, we need people who understand the importance of limit uh, limits on government uh, who go in and fill those offices so that we can prevent government from getting out of control. Right, and and, and that's what it, it you know it kind of gets me to me sometimes because I'm I'm new to the city government thing, so I'm trying to think of <laughs> I told I messaged Gary before and asked him a question. I said. A lot of times I'm sitting in the meetings and I'm thinking, what would Gary do? <laughs> you know, just, right, yeah. Because it, it just, you know, that's, like, a, that's an excellent question to ask. I wish, yeah. I wish more public officials thought to themselves before they act, what would Gary Nolan do? I think that would be a fantastic thing. Well, it's just, I don't, if, if, if someone wanted, if the city wanted to come down on me, on my property because of how it looked, if I thought of it, I just don't like that. You know, it, it's my property, I pay for it, and if it's not hurting anyone else, shouldn't be anyone else's business. Right on, sir. Right on, Eric. (laughs) Well, Eric, thank you so much for calling in. Thank you so much for for going out and serving uh, and hopefully being one of the good guys trying to keep government within its proper limits. Uh, We are coming up on the end of the show, so I want to thank everybody for listening in today. It's always a lot of fun for me to get to sit in. I don't pretend to be able to fill Gary Nolan's shoes. Those are mighty, mighty big shoes, and and my feet are only medium-sized. Yeah, he's Frankenstein-sized. <laughs> that's that's true. It's true. But, uh, but I do enjoy getting to come in. I will be filling in again in a few weeks. I'll look forward to that, and in the meantime, you guys... Go out and guarantee liberty. Teach people about the value of individual liberty. Don't let anyone take it away from you. This is Dave Rowland filling in for Gary Nolan on the Zimmer Radio Network.